Well, good morning. Uh, if you're new with us or, or need a refresher, uh, we're spending this summer going through uh, the book of, of James. And <clears throat> the author James, he was the half-brother to Jesus, uh, but, but he wasn't quite sure about this faith thing at first. Um, some of you have brothers and sisters, and if one of them strolled into the living room or at a family reunion, stood up and said, I'm the Messiah, you probably would have some doubts uh, about how true that statement would be. And so James early on didn't, didn't buy into this idea that Jesus was who he said he was. He, he didn't think Jesus was anything special at all. Uh, but as time went on, he eventually, James did, bought into this idea. As he saw Jesus die and, and was resurrected, he, he bought into this idea that Jesus really was who he said he was. And so, so James, it seems, gave his life to, to this idea of Christianity, and a big part of his ministry was, was writing letters from where he was in Jerusalem uh, to these young churches. And so the letter or book of James, as we call it now, uh, when you hear people talk about the book of James, they'll say, you know, it's a very easy, short book, or, or they'll say something like, you know, the book of James, is just, it's, it's very practical. When we think about this idea of, of practicality uh, in our day-to-day lives, it usually brings about how something is, like, yeah, I could do that. that, that's pretty easy to do. It, uh, this idea of something being practical, it's, it's almost effortless for us to put it into action. There's usually a little bit of simplicity involved. But I don't think that's really the case when you actually dig into the book of James. Because he talks about things such as how we need to cling to our faith in challenging times. And we've all been there. That, that's not easy to, to have our faith and remain you know, doubtless when it feels like we've been abandoned. Um, James talks about things of, of how we need to be careful with the words we speak or even the words, as we could say today, we, we, we type because words are powerful and, and they can really bring a little bit of heaven or a little bit of hell to the people that we're delivering them to. That's, it's not easy to be cautious of the words we speak. Uh, James talks about things about you know, living out our faith. And it's hard at times to, to live out our faith, especially in difficult times. James talks about things, how we need to be careful of how we use the resources we have. Everything we've been given is actually a tool to lead people closer to Jesus. And, and that's hard at times. There, there are times when, when we want to have this pile of things for us and, and this pile of things for the glory of God. And so, so there's real no uh, simplicity when you talk about the book of James. It, if, if anything, here's what I think the, the, the short book of James is about. The book of James is about things you either privately or publicly struggle with. And as we'll see today, that, that, that's true on this topic as well. As I was thinking about th- this message a few weeks ago, in, in my personal time with, with, with Jesus in the morning sitting on, on, on the porch, uh, I was reading in Acts chapter 24. And in Acts chapter 24, what we see is the, the Apostle Paul, who was just a remarkable church leader, the most remarkable to ever live, he's, he's actually put on house arrest. And they, they tell Paul that he's guilty of, of stirring up trouble. And he really was. He, he was guilty of that, but the trouble he was stirring was, it was worth stirring the pot. Um, there are people who, despite the life that Jesus lived and how he told us to live, they wanted to cling to the old way of doing things. And Paul was saying, no, Jesus did away with that. Jesus is the new way of, of doing things. And, and that bothered the people who wanted to cling to the old system. And, and they, they would revolt and they would riot. And, and so eventually Paul was thrown in, into house arrest. And after a few days of just in, on house arrest, they don't really know what to do with him because he's not really breaking a law. He's just preaching about Christ. Um, there, there's a powerful person named Felix. He's the governor of the area, the authority of that area. And, and he says he wants Paul to come before him and his wife, Drusilla. There's a lot of biblical names we're naming our children today. I've never heard someone say, meet little Drusilla. Um, I think that one's kind of off limits. And so Paul, he's going before these people who really hold uh, his fate in, in their hands, and, 
And I thought about that moment. I'd encourage you to think about it too. What would you do in that moment? For, for me, what some of the cards I may play is, is, is one, going and, and pleading. I will never try to stir up trouble again. Just, just please, please spare me, let me go. Um, maybe you or, or, or I, we'd say things like, dear God, please, I'll do whatever it takes because surely I'm, 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 I can impact the kingdom of God more powerfully if I'm outside this cell rather than inside this cell. I don't know what you would have done at the moment, but that, that's nothing about what Paul does. Now, keep in mind, he's standing before one Felix. Uh, Felix, a powerful man, uh, but he was a savage of a man. Uh, the history books tell us that, that he sinfully kind of got his way to the top. He, he didn't play by the rules to get to the position he was in, and, and murder and betrayal were, were tools that he would use. And, and, and so, so, guess what Paul talks to him about? He talks to him about righteousness. He doesn't beg for his release. He, he challenges Felix to try to aim for the standard at which God calls him to live. And then there's Jerusalem. There's this moment in Acts where he pivots and he talks to Jerusalem. Now, now Jerusalem, her, her father killed James, whose words we're studying today. Uh, um, her, her, her grandpa killed John the Baptist, uh, and her great-grandfather murdered the children in Bethlehem. And you know what Paul talks to her about? He says, Jerusalem, we're going to talk about self-control today. Not the most user-friendly sermons, but he had to communicate that, that, that truth. He had to communicate that biblical truth when, when having the chance. He couldn't water it down. He couldn't dance around it. He needed to present it as it is. And you may feel today is not the most user-friendly sermon either. I, I'm certain that the topic that we're going to cover today, for some of us, we're going to feel uncomfortable. It's going to feel like it rubs us the wrong way. But, but what I want you to see is if, if you feel that way, that's really just our lives being confronted with biblical truth in a way that needs to happen. If you feel like you're kind of, I don't know, getting your toes stepped on, it's not my size 11 and a half sneakers. Um, it's God lovingly nudging you closer to the person He desires you to be. Some things are not easy to hear. If you think about all aspects of our life, growth is almost never comfortable. It's almost always uncomfortable. Uh, but we can't water down or skip over what James has to say today. And so today, the topic that, that we're going to gather James' thoughts on and see how it applies to our life, that, that topic is favoritism. And I wish I could say we here in, in beautiful paradise of Lawrence County that favoritism didn't take place. Uh, I wish I could look you in the eyes and say, you will never be judged. Everyone will treat you as an equal uh, person, and they will value you. But we, we know this is a fallen world. It's, that's not the case. And favoritism... It, it's not just what it seems on the surface, but favoritism, it shows its way in our culture and in our society in varying ways. And when you look, if you can imagine almost favoritism as an umbrella, what, what flows down under it, you, you see discrimination. Discrimination is a form of favoritism. Um, you, you, uh, prejudice, racism, uh, chauvinism, bigotry, it's all on the table when we talk about favoritism. We live in a world where favoritism and, and discrimination specifically are they're very real and present in our society. Um, some of us, we may have felt at times as we look o over the course of our life that we've been discriminated against. We may remember those, those painful times when, when somebody discriminated against us because of how we look or uh, they, they think we're, we're, we're too skinny or, or too heavy. People, um, they, they judge us based on our wealth, whether we're, we're rich or, or whether we're, we're poor, whether we're athletic or not. Or the family you come from, um, how you sound when you talk. Uh, 
I went to a NASCAR weekend up in Wisconsin, and for some of you, that's, you, you wonder, is someone punishing you, Josh? Um, that's how I fill my tank, watching people. It was a road course. They didn't just turn, they, they turned left and right. Um, and so, so that fills my tank. And, and I met this mountain of a man that I, I, every time I talked to him, he stood close. And I had to look, look at him like this. And uh, as soon as I met him, he said, you're from southern Indiana, aren't you? And I looked, I don't have any IU stuff on. And I said, yeah, how do you know that? And he's like, oh, you sound so funny. He said, I could listen to you talk all weekend. And then he says this, he says, you people from southern Indiana, you might as well be from Arkansas. Right? Some of you are more spiritual than first service. When I said that, first service was like, ugh, Arkansas, right? right? And understandably, there was nothing normal in how I approached that NASCAR weekend. I wanted to be every stereotype that has ever existed at a NASCAR track. In fact, um, when my wife came home from being with her friends, this is what she found in the backyard. Um, she, she did not appreciate it whatsoever. Um, but when that guy said, like, you might as well be from Arkansas, that bothered me all weekend. And then I realized, well, that probably shows how I feel about people from Arkansas, right? I wasn't like, oh, what a blessing. Yeah, from Arkansas, might as well be. No, but, but when James, what he's getting into here, he's not concerned, though, how, how you and I react when we are discriminated against, well, what James is concerned about is when, when believers, people like you and I who call ourselves followers of Jesus, uh, he, he's concerned about uh, how, how we choose to look at other people and not treat them fairly or not treat them equally. He's concerned with when you and I have some weird skewed standard when, when through our flesh and our eyes we don't hold people in equal value. Now, before we move on, I do want to clarify something, and, and that is that there are times when you need to treat people differently in regard into the position they hold in your life. Um, that, that's, that's not favoritism. Uh, when, when I think about my, my wife, she treats me better, I'm confident of this, than she does any other man. And we'd all say, well, that's healthy. Well, why is that healthy? Be, because other men don't have equal claim to her or her attention. Um, my, my small group, we, I bet we have 20 children in our, in our, in our, in our small group. And, and, and you can imagine a scenario where we're all at a playground and, and there's all kinds of kids running around. Well, I'm going to look out for my kids' safety you know, ahead of other kids say. They're going to be my priority. That's, that's not favoritism. That's healthy because other people's kids don't hold equal attention to, to, to me or, or my family. And here's what favoritism does and why it's so ugly. Favoritism, it gives preference to one person or one group over others who have equal claims to us. And so, with that in mind, I want to do kind of a, here up front, kind of an internal health check and just ask a couple questions and I'm going to leave a, a couple seconds of silence because I, I want you to, to wrestle with these. When we think about favoritism, would you say that you're somebody who loves people, loves people equally? When you think about the way you think of other people and, and speak to them, the way you interact with them, are you someone who truly loves pe- people equally? Do you value wealthy people as much as people who are barely making it? Are you willing to show love to people who vote differently than you? Do you love other races as much as you love your own race? Do you treat attractive people 
as much as, as well as you would treat people that you think aren't attractive? Do you, do you treat, interact, and react to people equally? And it's, it's important because we're not doing life among people who are just like us. As we live our life as believers, we're going to come into contact with fit people, not fit people, people that you think have it all together, people who you believe quite clearly are falling apart, rich and poor, white and black, hairy and and bald, smelly and and not smelly, people who you think are successful and you want to be like them and people you look at and say they're not successful. You're going to do do, do life and, and come across people who struggle differently than you and do you show them still love and grace? You're going to come across people who are, are living their life in such a way, there's these lifestyles or characteristics, and they don't believe that's a struggle at all. They believe that's who they are. And do you treat those people equally? And, and what we have to figure out today is, does our faith in Christ actually cause us to love and treat everyone equally? Uh, diving into to, to James chapter 2, verse 1, we're just going to read just a couple of words here. James says, "'My dear brothers and sisters,' My dear brothers and sisters, there's already so much happening here because when James begins discussing this idea of favoritism, and keep in mind the discrimination, bigotry, uh, chauvinism, racism, all of it, when he starts discussing favoritism, he, he doesn't say all. He, say, he says, dear, my, my, my dear brothers and sisters. So, so what he's saying immediately is this isn't a problem outside the family of God, that, that what he's going to talk about here, favoritism, it's a problem within the family of God. But it just can't be that way. Now, you guys know this, you've, you've belonged to, to fam, a family, and when you're a part of a family, you can say things a little more bluntly, right? Uh, you, 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 can, you can call it as you see it. Um, with family, sometimes we don't have to be around the bush. We say things to them in such a hard way, albeit true, that we would never say it to anybody else. Um, with our family, sometimes, you know, they, they come home with a haircut we don't like, and we say, dear Lord. Like, we, we say, those are the people we are, Right? We, but we'd never say that to anybody else. We, with family, we don't have to put icing and a, a cherry on top because our bond with them is strong enough that, that they can handle a hard but, but albeit true word. Back to my NASCAR weekend, when, when, when my wife walked in the backyard and saw me that way just on a random Thursday evening, she, did, she said three things, and she said it with her words, her eyes, and her posture. She said, ooh, yuck, no. Now, my wife, if we walk into Tractor Supply Company and she sees someone dressed just like that, she would not say, ooh, yuck, no. What she would say, is, she would look at me and say, you know, I'm just glad they feel free to be them. Right? Because we, we, we treat people differently when they're in family. We, we, we say things a little more blunter. The filters sometimes do not exist. Right? And you have your stories too. You can think about when someone said something that hard to you, but it's family. That, they have the right to say those things, Right? It goes both ways. They say hard things to us. We say it, say it to them. It's family. Now, now, what James is about ready to do is give this family a, a real punch. He knows that the, the bond of the family of God is strong enough that we can be confronted in our weaknesses because we're trying to live for the glory of God. He, he's writing assuming that we don't want to play favorites, that we really do want to love all people. And so, you've seen the cartoons how, like, you know, they're kind of winding up for a big punch. That's basically what James is doing here when he says, my dear brothers and sisters. And here's what that punch feels like. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ 
if you favor some people over others. What, what James is getting at here is favoritism is absolutely incompatible with faith. Favoritism is incompatible with faith. Discrimination is incompatible with faith. Chauvinism is incompatible with faith. Bigotry is incompatible with faith. If Jesus died for all, and then His instructions to us was to go and love all, then discrimination cannot exist where He is. Uh, we are fooling ourselves, we really are. If, if, if we say that, that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, but yet we live our lives detesting some of the people that He died to save. We cannot claim Jesus in our hearts if that space also has some kind of hate towards certain groups of people for any reason. If, if Jesus unfairly took the cross for everyone, then how can you and I unfairly look down on, on anyone? If, if out of His great love Jesus died for all groups, then how can we, in, in our hate and our favoritism and discrimination, eliminate anyone from our love? Favoritism, I truly believe, is a sign of spiritual immaturity. Favoritism is a sign of spiritual immaturity. Favoritism, at best, is a sign of spiritual immaturity. At worst, favoritism reveals that, that some don't have any faith at all. And I wish there was a softer way to put that. I wish I didn't feel like I was in front of Felix and Jerusalem right now. But that's not, these are not my thoughts. This is the Bible. This is what you and I say has authority over our lives. Now, it's true that Jesus says, come as you are. He looks at all of us with our baggage, our worldviews, our opinions. He knows that some of them are so skewed from what, what He desires for our lives, but yet He says, come as you are, but He doesn't expect us to stay that way. In the book of Matthew, after this prayer, uh, Jesus says this. He gives this invitation, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I know we're not talking about rest today, but that invitation reflects what Jesus is all about. He says, come to me with all of that baggage. Come to me just as you are. But if we stay connected to Him, we don't stay just as we were. We, we change. And that, that includes favoritism and discrimination as well. He says, come on. Just as you are, come to me. I know you have baggage. I know you have these opinions that are not of mine. I know your worldview. The lenses you're looking through are not the lenses that I'm looking through. But he says, all of it, just, just bring it over here. Come as you are. And if we're willing, that relationship over time with Jesus that makes us into something different. Because of Jesus, we don't have to be who we once were. As we abide in Jesus, we stay connected to Him, not just touching down to be saved and then going back to our own worldviews, but, but as we fight to become more like Him, we start to see people as He does. And I think one of the harder things about a message like this but, but needs to be said is the reality that for, for those of us who carry favoritism and, and discrimination in our minds, it's because it was indoctrinated into us by our family. We think the way we do, we feel the way we do towards certain people because that's what we saw reflected to us. That was handed down to us by the people that we trusted the most. It doesn't mean those are bad people, it just means that they were not reflecting a Christian worldview to us. They were reflecting their worldview. They had not handed over things to Jesus, so it got handed down to us. But many of us, we look down on certain people because that's quite honestly what, what our family did growing up, and I, I get it. 
Um, I didn't start going to church until I was 18, and in my worldview and in my discrimination and my favoritism reflected exactly what my parents carry growing up. Uh, I can remember moments, maybe you can too. In fact, I bet most of us can, can remember a moment like at least one of the ones I'll, I'll, I'll outline here. Um, you're riding in the back seat and, and, and your dad is just this maniac driver, right? You said you'd never be that way. Look at you now, right? And he's just this, this maniac driver and, and, and you're in the back seat and, and maybe he, as he's getting impatient with the car in front of him, maybe he pulls off a wild pass or maybe the car finally turns off and, and you saw your father like you see him look over his shoulder and, and he sees either the race or the gender of the person driving the car and he says something like, well, that makes sense. Yeah, that stuff gets inside of us. Um, and maybe you were walking down, down, downtown with your, your, your family once. I remember I was going to the, to the circus uh, downtown. and um, Remember that when we were allowed to do circuses? Um, and, and I was going downtown to a circus, and, and I remember there was a, a, a displaced individual, homeless. And I remember my, 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 my parents, maybe your parents just moved you to the side of the road. That planted something inside of you, by the way. But my parents, what they did is, is we kind of just like went around the guy. And, and I remember one of, one of my parents saying this under their breath, get a job, bum. That does something to us. That forms something in our hearts. Uh, maybe you're taught to avoid those type of people. And you have, because that's what you were taught to do. Or as a kid, maybe your parents allowed politics to reasonably define who you could reasonably think less of. And that stuff gets inside of us. It, it, it attaches to us. It, it takes root. And and as I speak about these maybe familiar moments in your life, very familiar in mind, if, if, if you start to, to feel a little bit rising up because that you, you've been there, you see how it's indoctrinated, you, I, I want you to know it's okay right now you feel how you feel because you've been influenced by the people you trust the most. But now there's Jesus and you have to let Him have a say. How can we claim faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if we favor one person over another? It's okay to come as you are with those thoughts and feelings, the favoritism and discrimination, but Jesus doesn't want to leave you that way. You, you have to let Him take that old way of thinking from you. You have to let Him start controlling how you feel about others. And you don't have to do that through your own power. In fact, you will not accomplish much through your own power. A practice I had to start doing because of the way my parents had, had indoctrinated me, and once again, we're not saying they're bad people. They can be good people who just don't lead us to, to, to closer to, to seeing people the way that Jesus sees people. I remember when, when I would have certain feelings of discrimination or favoritism rise up in me. I was a Christian. I didn't like having those thoughts. I, I, I'd been going to church for a couple months. And, and I remember that when I'd have those thoughts, I would just, just go to God in the moment and say, Lord, help me to see people the way that you do because I'm not right now. If, if you go about your week this week and you have those feelings of discrimination and favoritism, I want to encourage you, as it rises up, don't, don't try to defend yourself, right? Don't, don't, don't try to say, well, it's not my fault. No, just, just go to the Lord and, and say, say, God, please give me your perspective on, on these, these people or, or this group. Give me your view of them. And I can promise you, He is going to bless that. And His perspective is going to bring you much better joy. Think about what it looks like to live every day with favoritism or, or discrimination, because you, you suddenly become angry when you just cross paths with someone who doesn't live up to your standard. That's not, a, that's not abundant life. 
Proverbs 28, 21, it talks about the danger of this. It says, playing favorites is always a bad thing. You can do great harm in seemingly harmless ways. And, and I want to be clear, this is not a, a, a message where I feel like I'm preaching down to, to, to people or preaching at people. This is a conversation of what happened in my life as well. I didn't realize the favoritism and discrimination that I held in my life. And, and my family wasn't perfect. They didn't know Jesus. But the way I was living as a Christian reflected what had gotten inside of me. Um, more humorously, you're going to think I'm kidding about this, but I promise I'm not. Growing up, my parents would look at me and say, we hate Purdue fans. Do you understand? Yes, mom or dad. Or, or there would be, you know, a family that I'd be playing with their son and, and they're a Purdue fan. We don't play with those types of people, Josh. Okay, I, I think my parents probably are trying to find a way that we're related to Bobby Knight. Like, they're like, it's, it's in here somewhere, right? 18th generation cousins. They're just diehard IU fans. And, and so, growing up, and, and it made sense, right? When you see Gene Cady in, 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 in gold and black, he never looked happy, right? So, so it may, may, makes sense. So, but, but then I came to know Jesus. And so, I pray for Purdue fans because he tells me to pray for those who are lost, right? So, I do every day. And, and he, I even let people on leadership here buy my kids Purdue stuff. Like they, they will, because they know I'm a, a huge IU fan, they'll, I'll let them buy my kids Purdue stuff. And we all need good rags around the house, right? It makes, it makes total sense. And, and so, so we accept it, right? But in all seriousness, like I, I genuinely know the pain of trying to be a follower of Jesus, but following the ways in which our parents taught us to, 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 to look at other people. And it's hard. We've we got to be real intentional to, to, to let go of that. Uh, when I think about the way that our family may have indoctrinated us, I, uh, the, the analogy I, I think of is it's kind of like when you go to the beach. Right? We've all been on a beach vacation, and, and what's true about the beach is no matter how far you get from the beach, no matter how much time has elapsed, no matter how hard you scrub or sweep, sand keeps popping up in, in little ways for, for months and years to come. And, and that's what it's like with, with our family. They, they've done some of that to us. No matter how far removed we get from our childhood, we can't get removed from this uh, unchrist-like influence that changes how we see people. But as believers, we've got to let that go. If there's any place where favoritism and discrimination cannot exist, it is in the family of God. It's in the church. It can't be allowed here. According to James, favoritism is, is incompatible with faith. It, at best, it is. At best, it's a sign of spiritual immaturity. At worst, there's no faith at all. Now, for Jesus original, or James' original audience, he, he, he's chewing on them a little bit, and, and he dives in this idea of discrimina uh, discrimination and favoritism because he had gotten word through the grapevine that the, that, that early church was, was favoring the wealthy over the poor because the wealthy could do more to, to help the church grow. And, and, and so James, after verse 1, he starts chewing on them a little bit about valuing the rich more than you value the poor. But for us, no matter where favoritism rears its ugly head, James goes on and tells the solution for the church then and then the solution for us now. He says in verse 8, Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the Scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. Are you dealing with favoritism or discrimination? Love your neighbor as yourself. And this thought of treating others how you want to be treated, this thought of loving your neighbor as yourself, it was initially stated actually thousands of years before Jesus. You can see it in the book of Leviticus. And so it was good for God's people then. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
Well, then, you know, thousands of years later, Jesus arrives on the scene, and guess what He tells us? He says, you know what's good for the Christian is to love your neighbor as yourself. That eliminates a lot of problems in the family of God. And then Jesus is, is crucified for us. He's buried, and then He's resurrected. And now, now James is saying, love your neighbor as yourself. That is the silver bullet to discrimination and favoritism. And loving your neighbor as yourself, it's still good for God's family today. It's maybe never been more needed than right now. Love your neighbor as yourself. With all people, think about them as you want to be thought of. Speak of others how you'd want to be spoken of. Treat others how you'd want to be treated. Love your neighbor as yourself. When taken seriously, it starts to disarm our unhealthy views. When you think about your life, when you came to Jesus, He said, come on, bring all the baggage. And guess what? He said, and here's grace, here's forgiveness. He treated you like everyone else who came to Him for abundant life now and eternal life later. He accepted us even though He looked nothing like us. When you came to Him, it didn't matter how rich or poor you were. When you came to Him, your skin color didn't matter. When you came to Him, your education didn't matter. When you came to Him, your gender didn't matter. Whether you were previously religious or not religious, it didn't matter. He said, just come to me. And when you came to Him, you, you were accepted equally, you were forgiven equally, He loved you equally, He adopted you equally, and then you were saved equally. Romans tells us the character of God, for God does not show favoritism. I think most importantly, when you and I, when we strive to treat all people equally, in that moment, we truly demonstrate that we understand what happened for us on the cross. When we choose to treat everybody equally, it is, it is a revelation where we're showing the world that we understand what Jesus did on the cross. The band can come back up as, as we close out. We come as we are with all our baggage, our opinions, our worldviews, the way our family maybe indoctrinated us. But as, as we abide in Jesus, what starts to happen over time is that, that you and I, we start trying to honor the people that we previously dishonored. We begin to cherish the people that we once avoided. Our hearts start to soften over time if we want to stay connected to Jesus. Our hearts start to soften to where we realize we've give, been given this life to love all people towards a relationship with Jesus because He is a man who came to save all people. Not instantly, but over time, as we abide in Christ, we stop measuring people by the human eyes. We start throwing the human criteria out the window, and we start to reflect God's character, which is a character that always looks past the human standards and looks at the heart. As we abide in Jesus, we start to believe that everyone, everyone is truly made in the image of God. Let me close with this verse. Colossians 3.12 gives us this charge in how we should treat all people. It says, Since God chose you to be the holy people He loves, you must clothe, clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. As we are connected to Christ, we will drop discrimination, we'll drop favoritism, we will truly approach everyone with this mercy, with this kindness. People who are so much different than us, people we were taught to hate, taught to not respect, they'll walk away saying, that's a person of humility. Look how gentle they were with me. Look at the patience they displayed with me. And that is our goal. And so, so, so let me close with just praying that we'll take seriously this charge, that we won't defend our views. We'll come to Jesus and say, thank you for taking me as, my, as I am. 
Thank you for letting us come as we are. Here are these ways I'm not like you. Please, please change it. Let's pray. God, I can't help but to think when we read James' words today, just how relevant it is to, the, to our culture. And God, I believe as we are confronted with those words, there's some of us who just need to, in this moment, choose repentance. To not defend ourselves, to, to not say, well, that, that person, that type of person wronged me before, but my goodness, the amount of times we've wronged you, but you love us anyways. So for some of us, may we hand our life over to you, hand our views over to you to become more like you. Others of us may be wrestling in a different direction. We need forgiveness. As we hear about favoritism and discrimination, how that's taken a toll on our life, it just feels like it's going to echo in eternity. And we strive to show the people who hurt us the grace that you show us. But for all of us, as, as your children, the most powerfully, powerful way that we can show the world we've been connected with you is through choosing to love all people, looking past previous ways we discriminated, the way we've played favorites, looking past race and gender, and giving everybody a fair shot at our love. Forgive us of how we've messed this up. Empower us to love people like you know they deserve to be loved. It may not be done through our power, but, but through your power. May we just be vessels of your love, vessels to all people. It's in Jesus' name we pray.